claim any expertise as a runner at all. In fact, my history as a runner is pretty pathetic, actually pretty embarrassing. I have a story from when I was in college. Uh, they had a, a, a required kind of health gym class. You would take it as a freshman and you would take it again as a senior. And they would also compare how you changed and how you did. And one of the things that you had to do is you had to run a mile. I know it's just a mile. I mean, my, my son's in cross country. He tells me how many miles they run. This was just a mile. And they would time you. So I remember doing it as a freshman. And then came around to the senior year. Uh, there was the week that, okay, you had to run the mile again. And this was in Chicago. I went to Moody Bible Institute. And uh, they told us, okay, when you come uh, for the class next time, you're going to have to run a mile. So you've got to remember to bring your running stuff. You've got to bring your, your running shoes because... Moody had a uh, really expensive, uh, nice uh, facility. It was an indoor track above their around their whole basketball facility, uh, some special floor and everything. So you couldn't just have your regular shoes. You had to have special you know, running shoes that weren't what you were just wearing all day long. So they really stressed, remember to bring these or you are going to fail. Oh, of course, of course, I'm not going to forget. So class rolls around. And I show up a few minutes before. I'm talking with other students. They're like, hey, Remember, today is, uh, we're, uh, we're running the mile. I'm like, oh, no, because I forgot. <laughs> I realized, this is terrible. Okay, so I had a few minutes. I realized my dorm is on the opposite side of campus. So I realized I had a few minutes. So I sprinted you know, all the way from one side of the campus all the way to the other side. And I had to go, and I was on the 14th floor of my dorm. So up I go, I get my shoes, down I go, sprinted all the way back. By the time I got back, uh, to the gym. I made it in time, but all, by then already I had this huge side cramp. So it's like, all right, line up, we're going to run the mile now and see how you compare to when you're a freshman. So we get ready to go. And it was like I had my intestine like, you know, wrapped around your rib, you know, and as I ran, it kept like ratcheting more. So I'm like trying to run and it's pathetic. Um, how pathetic, you ask? Well, it was this pathetic. Uh, the only person that I beat, okay, the only person and this was, you know, guys, girls mixed. The only person that I beat was the blind kid. I beat, and, and he was going around and he had a cane to go around the corners. So that's how pathetic this is. Uh, so again, I claim no expertise as a runner, uh, but keep in mind running as we read this passage together because I think this is kind of the metaphor that Paul is using that's in the background for this passage in Philippians 3, 12 through 16. All right, reading this together. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. We're going to work our way through this awesome passage. And what we're going to see is that the Christian life is neither about perfectionism now nor stagnation. We're not at the finish line yet, but we also can't remain at the starting line either. 
Christ has called us to himself as our great and ultimate goal and our treasure. And we need to be pressing on, straining forward, pressing on to him. So let's look at this. We'll kind of work our way through. The first point I want to make is to tell you, and this is addressed to Christians specifically. Christian, you are not at the finish line yet. Notice in verse 12, he, he stresses, not that I have already obtained this. There's these things that are in the future. So if we're thinking this as a, a race, yeah, you're not at the finish line yet. That's not where we are in this Christian life, in this Christian race, in this journey. Now it starts, he says, not that I've already obtained this. You have to think, what is he talking about? What is he saying, uh, this? Well, I think we need to connect this uh, with the message that we had before. When we read scripture, it's not just kind of isolated chunks. Uh, there's a flow of thought here, so we need to remember back to last week's message. And if you were here last week, uh, you may perhaps remember that at some point in the message, um, I produced a bag of um, cow manure. Uh, some nice aromatic, fresh uh, cow manure. And I was making a point with that because the message from last week, uh, Paul had been talking about uh, from in uh, chapter 3 that he used to place all kinds of confidence in his flesh, in his human righteousness. And he thought he had this big list of merit badges that one day he would be able to stand before God and say, look what I have done. You know, I'm good with you because look at my accomplishments and what I've done. And what he ended up realizing is that everything that he thought was in the, the profit column of life, he realized was actually a loss. And he said he realized it was, it was a loss, a complete loss, and that it also says in uh, verse 8, it says, For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And that word for rubbish, we mentioned, doesn't just mean, you know, wadded up paper in the trash can, uh, but that Greek word actually can be used, is used of uh, you know, manure, uh, dung, and it can be translated that as well. And so all these merit badges that Paul thought he was going to offer before God and say, I'm good with you, God, because I got this. He realized, wait a second, this is a loss. This is, it's like trying to give God a, a big package of, of um, manure and say, accept me because of this. And that's what we're doing if you try to be right with God based on your righteousness, and your accomplishments, maybe your family, your status, what you have done, uh, your heritage. And that instead, salvation comes, there's two parts that we identified, uh, treasuring Christ as Savior and Lord, putting your reliance in him as the one who died on the cross for you, lived the perfect life. But then part of that also means that taking the stuff we used to rely on and mentally putting into the lost column, realizing I'm not going to hold this in my hand before God one day and say, accept me because of this, and just uh, putting it beside. So that's what <clears throat> Paul was talking about. And that's when he said, um, you know, kind of looking back, and so I hope you have your Bible open so you can, you know, glance at these things. He said, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He wanted to gain him and be found in him. And the moment that you trust Christ as Savior, you're included in Christ. You're attained in him. And he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, because you're never saved that way, but that, a righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ. That is how you're saved, by putting your trust completely 
in Jesus Christ as your substitute who lived for you and also died for you. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then verse 10, it says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Because Jesus not only died on the cross, but he was raised again on the third day, uh, back to life. And it says, I may share in his suffering. The Christian life is going to have suffering. And becoming like him in his death. We become like him in our suffering, our death. We are being changed more and more to be like him. And then finally it says, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And so just as Christ has been raised from the dead, there is also a uh, future resurrection that we have that we can look forward to as well. And so we see him uh, shifting to the future and mentioning this future resurrection of the dead. So when he talks now about this, I have not already obtained this, I think at least that's one of the things that he's talking about, that the resurrection is not yet. There is more to our salvation. There is more to come. So even Paul, he's an apostle, and he is, uh, he's right with God, uh, be in faith in Christ and all this. His salvation is secure, but his salvation is not final yet. And in fact, I want you to think about this right now. Is the Apostle Paul, uh, is his salvation absolutely final even now? I mean, he's been, he's been dead. We know where he is. Paul even taught us to be absent with the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But there's still even a future sense even for Paul. Because salvation isn't uh, just about escaping hell. It's not just about, um, I mean, that's a really important thing. And it's even uh, not just about, you know, going to heaven. Uh, it is about being with the Lord, and that is huge. That's a main part of it. But another part of it, too, is that there will come one day when the dead shall be raised. Now, we're not just saved spiritually. We're also going to be resurrected physically, and our bodies put back together, and this is part of the hope that we have to look forward to. And even Paul hasn't experienced that yet. Some other places in Scripture where it talks about the resurrection. Um, Paul talks about this in Romans 6.5. He says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So it's future, but it's a certainty. If you've been united with Christ in his death, and that happens to you if and when you, you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then... Uh, that is certain, but there's a future certainty of being united with him in a resurrection like his. Christ's resurrection has happened already, ours hasn't. That's also why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 20, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That means he's the first of, the, of this you know, harvest of those that have died, fallen asleep, and have been raised to life. It goes on and says, For as by a man came death, for by Adam death came into this world, for by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, for those that are in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So when Christ returns, there will be this resurrection. 
and that the, the dead in Christ will rise first and the rest of us will um, be, if you're alive during that time, the rapture. But part of what happens in that time is, is, uh, is uh, there's going to be a resurrection, a reuniting of us with our physical body and however that works, God uh, putting, repairing, undoing uh, the damage of death for us. So this is just one example of that there is still future things. There's still more at the finish line. We're still in the process of the race. We're not at the end yet. And so Paul doesn't want us to think that, you know, that he's arrived. There's a day to come when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. There's all these things, but it's not here yet. And we need to be realistic about where we are in in salvation history. We're, We're still in the middle of the race. This also means that sinless perfection is also not yet. There's a day coming, you know, when we'll be glorified, when we'll be done with sin, done with temptation, and all this, but that's, that's not today. In fact, you think, well, the Apostle Paul, he must have had just sin and t- temptation just licked. But again, he says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. And perfect there can mean perfect, it can mean complete, it can mean mature, but he was still in process in his Christian life as well. He never claimed to be, to be perfect in this life or free from sin. In fact, he referred to himself as the, the chief of all sinners. But you know, there's, there are some that have taught that you could have sinless perfection in this life. Um, John Wesley, in the 1700s, he was the founder of uh, Methodism, and there's the, the holiness movement that came after him. I mean, one of the things that he taught, he taught a lot of good things, but one of the things that he taught uh, that I would disagree with them is he taught Christian perfectionism. Or sometimes it was called uh, uh, entire sanctification or uh, what he referred to as holiness, but that Christians in this life could hit a state where they are done with sin. That it is possible for you to, before you die, before Christ returns, to get to the place where you're just, you're done with sin. And some of the things uh, that he wrote, um, in his, he had a work called Thoughts on Christian Perfection, and he wrote, quote, a Christian is so far perfect as not to commit sin. That's not every Christian that's there, but that's something that he believed was attainable in this life. And he defined this Christian perfection or holiness as, quote, the loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This implies that we, this implies that no wrong temper, none contrary to love remains in the soul, and that all the thoughts, words, and actions are governed by pure love. So, hey, what if I put that on your head? You know, hit that now, and uh, you should be able to expect that. And hopefully, by, it's by God's grace he'll help you. Uh, how many here claim this? Not I at all. Let me put that hand way down. I don't even know if I can make it to breakfast without sinning in the morning. I mean, I tried to think about the today, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I made it to breakfast. I don't remember, you know, doing anything bad. I didn't remember snapping at the kids this morning. I don't remember any bad thoughts. But I thought, but also, did I, what about things I should have done? Um, you know, did I thank God adequately, you know, before I, you know, ate what I ate? And did I, you realize, if you really think about it, it's like, man, I, I, I don't go five minutes without falling short. I don't even know if I can make it a little bit. I think the only way to really uh, fool yourself to thinking that you've hit some kind of spiritual perfection is you have to like redefine what sin is 
and say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's just the big sins. And that's kind of what Wesley did too. He uh, defined this and said, well, what this means is that uh, a perfect Christian wouldn't voluntarily transgress a known law. But he said, you might still, you know, accidentally sin, or maybe you'd sin out of ignorance, but he believed you could get to the point where you, you know, could just, you know, for the rest of your life, just not uh, sin. Now, I do believe that there can be tremendous victory over sin, and there should be progress in our Christian life, but I want to tell you that, uh, Christian, you're not at the finish line yet, and that none of us will be in this life uh, that no matter how much you grow in this life, no matter how much you progress, there's still going to be more. And actually, the normal Christian life is that even as you're growing as a Christian and you're growing in your sanctification, that means being made actually more holy. It's a process bit by bit by bit. And sometimes there's ups and sometimes there's downs. And if you're a real Christian, there should be an upward trajectory overall. Uh, but there's always going to be more to go. And in the, the normal Christian life, what you're going to find too is that as you grow closer to God and you get closer to him and it's revealed more to you what he is like and his holiness, the more he shines that light on your heart and you realize, whoa, I'm an even worse sinner than I thought I was. You know, it's like when you, you if you clean the room and it's uh, all, you know, dark in there, you can think it's, uh, you got, did a good job and it's pretty clean. And you, know, you turn on the lights and you open the windows and all this and you realize, oh man, there's dust everywhere. In the same way, when we get closer to God and we let him examine our hearts, it's like, it's like peeling a, a rotten onion. We just keep seeing more and more there. And, and maybe thank God that he doesn't overwhelm us all at once with all the yuck that's in our heart. But he's going to help, you know, kind of peeling that back and helping us see things. Because remember, it's not just about, you know, these external things that we do or these big uh, notorious sins. But so much of it is these wrong attitudes, these wrong motives these wrong affections, loves that are in our hearts. Because that's the wellspring of everything else. So let's be realistic about this. Let's realize that we're in this race. We're not perfect yet. Uh, we don't want to water down sin. We don't want to minimize the internal sins of the heart. You know, a view of perfectionism, that's not biblical and it's not true to life. Paul didn't think it was. So Christian, just all of us, Remember that you and other Christians are a work in progress. That's so important. And if we, we realize this, this should give us a humility. I mean, I think if I thought to myself, I've arrived. <laughs> Look at this. I, I'm perfect. I am uh, without sin now for the rest of my life. I would instantly shift into arrogance and pride. And that's a sin. And so <laughs> there we go. That didn't last long. But you know, none of us as Christians should be prideful. If we realize that we are saved by God's grace alone and what Christ did, we should be the most humble people. We realize that everything that is in, that is in the prophet column before God is a gift to us. That is actually Christ's work and his blood and righteousness and what he did for us. Then we don't pat ourselves on the back. And we don't say, oh, look at me, I'm a better person and uh, I'm perfect. Why can't you be like me? So it gives us humility. I think it gives us a realism too, to have patience with other people. In a sense, you know, a, a healthy patience with yourself too, that, you know, there are failures and you don't have to uh, just be destroyed with guilt when you realize that. Instead, you press on, you move on in the Christian life. 
and we're patient with other people. You're not going to expect somebody that uh, just became a Christian to all of a sudden have their, their whole life changed and, and figure it out. Now, we do believe that God starts this change and he starts working on us on the inside out, but it happens differently in every person's life. And some people, there's a lot of internal stuff before you even start seeing it on the outside. Uh, for you, maybe God started cleaning up one part of your life before another, but maybe someone else, he's going to start working on a different area of their life. So it allows us to have humility, allows us to have realism and compassion on other people too. That we struggle, that other people struggle, and to help us along. That there's going to be still failures. There's going to be times when we need to pick each other up, you know, off the track that we've stumbled, we're on the ground, and, and we get up and we help each other along. This means, too, if you're not a Christian yet, realize what I'm saying is that in this life, no matter how hard you try, you are not going to avoid all sin. So if you're not a Christian yet, and you're thinking, yeah, well, you know what, I could be. If I decided to not sin, I'm sure I could. You know, and it would be easy for me. i just decide not to sin. So if I wanted to be saved by my works, hey, I could do that. Realize that all these other Christians will say, yeah, even with God's grace, man, we still have so much sin. So don't ever think that you are going to be able to get to heaven by your righteousness. I mean, that ship has already sailed. That road is closed. The only hope that you have is for someone that did live a completely perfect life and to give you the credit for his life. And that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he offers you his righteousness and for him to take the penalty for your sin on the cross. And he is the one that initiates all of this. Again, notice in verse 12, it had said, but I press on to make it my own. Notice that we're press on. It's going to say press on twice in this section and also strain forward. So it's pretty easy to see what's the kind of the main emphasis of this. But he says he presses on, but notice this is not initiated by himself, to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. That Jesus Christ is the one that initiated this. He is the one that started And we can come to him because he has already grabbed us and is drawing us and calling us towards him. He has already given us this uh, certainty of salvation and now we continue to run to him. So Christian, on one hand, you're not at the the finish line yet, but also in this, we see that we are not to remain at the, the starting line either. So Christian, you can't stay at the starting line. And you also can't stop. You don't want to just... Uh, lay down on the track or say, I'm going to take a rest. Let's get out the lawn chair. and This is fine. I'm I'm halfway through. I can stop. And so we need to strain forward to be moving forward in the Christian life. Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So we're not at the finish line yet. We're headed there. But you can't just stay where you are. You don't just stay at the finish line. So a genuine Christian doesn't say, oh, great, I'm, I'm saved. I got my get-out-of-hell-free card, and I'm just going to stay the same. I'm not going to make any progress. No, we're, we're called. We're motivated. God is working our heart to, to call us to him, to have a change in our life, to press on. Part of this means forgetting what lies behind Notice this in the passage. Well, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. I told you I am not a runner. I uh, do not have that, that credibility. 
Uh, but um, I have sons that have ran cross-country. Luke just finished his cross-country season, and so I was talking to him, and I didn't let him know what I was talking about, but I said, Luke, uh, just you know, fill me in a little bit, you know, cross-country. Is it a bad thing to look behind you when you're in a race? He said, oh, yeah, that's terrible. You don't want to do that. that it slows you way down when you do that. And I said, Talk, tell me more about this. He said, well, one, I mean, just you know, looking behind, you're not going to be able to run the same way. You know, but also what happens, he said, is that if the person's way behind you, you can start to think, well, I'm running faster than I, I think I am because you're judging yourself about the person that you're already outpacing. And he said, instead, you want to look at the person in front of you and try to catch up with him, and, and that motivates you to, to run faster instead of just you know, looking back and assuming that you're running faster than you already are. I thought, that's great, thank you. I'm going to use that. Good stuff. We don't want to look behind us. We don't want to get caught up in the past. The word here for forgetting, um, you know, it can have the idea of, you know, to to absolutely forget, uh, but it also has the sense of to pay no attention to, to just to um, kind of put it out of the mind in the sense that it's not what you're focused on. It's not what you're paying attention to, you're obsessing about. We need to not look back to the past. Don't get hung up on the past. It's so easy to do that, to look back, to always be looking behind us instead of looking forward. And when we do that, it can slow us down in our Christian life. It can slow us down from where we need to move forward to. So one of the things I'd like you to think about is to ask yourself, what do I need to forget in the sense of what do I need to, to pay no attention to anymore? To try and decrease in my mind. It doesn't mean you're going to actually totally forget it or pretend it didn't happen, but like to not let this be something that uh, is, is in control of me, something that is, that is holding me back. What do you need to forget? What do you need to move on from so you're not stuck in the past? And, you know, thinking about this, I can think of at least, you know, three kind of different areas that sometimes we can have things from the past that we keep looking to, that we obsess about, and that can hold you back in your Christian life. And I think the first is uh, failures, regrets. Maybe you have a crippling sense of guilt from things in your past that you're like, this is not right. I failed, I sinned, I have this guilt and maybe constantly looking to that as something that, that, that uh, paralyzes you and keeps you from running forward in the Christian life. Think of who wrote this. This is the Apostle Paul. Before he was a Christian, he used to help round up and kill Christians. He was a persecutor of the church. Remember, he used to think he had all these merit badges, all these different things in his old life, and um, part of it, he said that he used to think he was so zealous before God because he helped persecute Christians to preserve you know, God's, God's holiness. Think of the regret that he would have for that. That because of him, there were people, he contributed to Christians dying. And you could get obsessed with that and be so paralyzed by that guilt that you can never move forward. Now the solution for that isn't just kind of wishful thinking, put it out of your mind. The solution to that is remembering that that Christ took your sin upon the cross, that he dealt with it in full. And that's what Christ did. And to remember that God's promises, that 
for those that are Christians that have had their sins dealt with by Christ, Scripture talks about, it describes it in various ways, that God will remember your sin no more. So he takes your sin and casts it into the sea. If God is willing to look at your sin that way, or in a better way, not look at your sin, uh, be willing to forget your sin, he knows it happened, but he's not holding it against you. If that's God's view and he's the supreme judge of the world, why do you think that you need to be the one that is constantly having this in your mind, paralyzing you, not able to move on from it? The only time you look back to it, you learn from lessons? Yep, that's good. And you look back to it just so you can also then look to the cross immediately to give God thanks and praise for the salvation that he did that that sin has been nailed to the cross, that sin has been taken care of for you. And therefore, you can move forward in hope, knowing God's grace and his love for you. So don't look back to, to guilt from past sins, failures, you know, regrets. And second, it could be looking back maybe in delight or temptation to past sins. Maybe there's a time in your life where it's like, man, those were the glory days. Those were the good days that... Um, you had a lot of fun, different type of fun. And there's ways like the nation of Israel, there's times they look back and it was warped thinking to their time in Egypt and thought, oh, that was great. We had all this good time, uh, great food and all this. They put it out of their mind that they were slaves in Egypt. But don't look back to the past in these times and let that tempt you to, to, to be called back to these sins and temptations uh, that, that you once had or that the world had you ensnared in. You've got to watch out for those things. And third, we need to make sure that um, we're able to forget in the sense of um, not paying attention to uh, moving on from another thing. We mentioned guilt, delight from the, the glory days, but also Think of these things, hurt, insults, pain, trauma, different things that we need to deal with, but we need to deal with it in the, with the goal of moving on from it. So I'm not talking about you know, repressing different feelings, but don't fixate on these different things. There is a lot of hurt in this life. We all experience it to one degree or another, and some in very incredible ways. Um, and again, I'm not saying not to, to deal with it, but you don't want to deal with it in a way that seems to be kind of common these days where you're fixated so much that you're always looking in the rearview mirror. You're always focusing on the past instead of trying to process it so you can move forward, that you can move ahead to Christ and what is next in your life. Don't let the things that have happened to you define you. They are real things that may have happened to you and may be very painful, but Christ is the one that he calls you to a new future. He gives you a new life in him. He gives you new hope in him. And you can move on. You can be freed to live for him. How many people here have time machines working? No, I don't see any hands. And if that's the case, there's nothing you can really do about the past. And so you thank God for saving us from it. And we learn our lessons. We appreciate his grace and we move on. To quote Fleetwood Mac, Why not think about times to come and not about the things you've done? If your life was bad to you, just think what tomorrow will do. 
Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop, it'll soon be here. It'll be better than before. Yesterday's gone, yesterday's gone. We can get obsessed with the past instead of looking to what's forward. But that's the other part of this verse. It tells us, you know, we're to push on. It says twice, and here it says strain forward. We're to strain forward. That means to what lies ahead. We're to look forward to what comes next. To strain forward means to exert oneself to the uttermost. Oftentimes with the idea of, of stretching out to, to what is next. You think of a, a football player that's like reaching out to the end zone so he can try to break the plane. Uh, of course, they didn't have you know, football back in the day, but they did have running races. And that's probably the analogy here of a runner that uh, is, is even stretching out his body as he's exerting himself to try and you know, get closer and closer to that finish line. And so this is what we are supposed to be doing. It does mean that there's effort in the Christian life. Part of what we keep seeing in Philippians is that on one hand, there is effort that we are supposed to put forward. Remember, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, it's not a passive thing. It takes effort. But also, God is the one that provides the strength. He is the one that works in and through us. So you've got to keep both of these things in mind. So there is effort that we need to put forward in the Christian life. It's not just a matter of, of coasting on. Okay, he doesn't say coast forward. It's a strain forward. So what are things that you need to do that would help you to do this? How are you going to uh, make progress in your Christian life? Think, well, I'm not making progress. You know, but I, I never read the Bible. I only come to church every once in a while. I barely think about God. I don't pray. Um, well, okay, yeah. Um, maybe that explains a little bit of it. Uh, that there's certain things that we can do to help ourselves along with it. Serving, engaging other Christians, having other Christians that encourage us. There's a whole list of different things that can help us with this. God wants you to make progress in the Christian life. Not just stay where you are on the track, but you're moving forward. You know, back in verse 12, the verb that gets translated as make my own, uh, in English we don't really get some of the flavor of it, but it has the, uh, what I'm told in Greek, the idea of a runner overtaking the next runner that's in front of him. That uh, you're in this race and you see the runner that's in front of you and, and you try to, to overtake that runner and catch up to him. And it reminded me, you know, I talked about Luke's in cross country and one of his uh, last races, he talked about, oh, it was great, I had a really good race. I just, I kept running and I saw like the runner ahead of me and I just caught up to him. And then I looked at the next one and I caught up to that one. And then I saw the next one and I just caught up to that guy. He said I was like skipping stones one after another. You know, and I think that's what God wants us to be doing in the Christian life. I mean, sometimes if we look at just everything all at once, it gets overwhelming. But what is, what is something that you see that is, it's not the ultimate goal, but it's like the next goal that you can do. That you can try to say, this is what I need to do next. So another thing I want you to think about uh, after the sermon in this week is, what do you want to overtake next in your Christian life? Overtake in the sense of you're running, you need to get to, to that accomplishment. Again, it's not the end goal, but it's the next thing. And maybe there's more than one. Don't just have, you know, one thing, and if you don't get that, you're working on nothing else. But think to yourself, maybe there's something that you realize, I got to work on this bad habit or this sin. I need to take steps towards victory in this. Or maybe you realize, man, there's things I need to do in my personal life. I got to start doing. Or we as a family, this is something we need to do. Uh, I don't know what, you're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to ask God to help you and think, but 
what is, maybe identify at least one next thing that you think God wants you to do, God maybe needs you to do in this Christian race. So you're not just, again, looking back and saying, well, great, I've accomplished all these other things, I've outran this stuff, but look ahead to what is the next thing. And again, it's not like if you have to do this in order for God to love you. He already loves you. He's already called you. He's already made you his own. But you're doing this because he is your treasure. And you're trying to get closer to him in your Christian life. Running towards him as your, as your goal. Where you are at right now in the Christian life, whether you're closer to the, the starting line or you're closer to the finish line, is really not as important as where you're going. Where you're at is not as important as your forward progress. Are you making forward progress? Or you said, well, I got pretty far and, and this is pretty good. I can kind of stop now. Remember, we haven't arrived. We're pushing forward. That's with our life. That's with discipleship. Um, even learning about God, learning God's word. You know, I've met some Christians that it seems like to them, there's only two kinds of knowledge that are out there. There's things that they already know and things they don't need to know. And they think, if I don't know it now, I don't need to know it. But that's not the attitude. There's always things that we, we need to learn about God. We're exploring, we're going deeper. We're also, and remember, it's not just about head knowledge, but our Christian life and in improving and seeking him more and more and more. This Christian race is not a sprint. It's a marathon that lasts our whole life. But there are going to be times when we're tired. There are going to be times where we, uh, we grow weary, where it is hard, very hard to carry on. And, but this passage tells us that we, we need to press on, we need to strain forward, we need to press on. I just want to say this, this has been a tough week for a lot of us. It's been a week with um, things that have happened, uh, the election, Proposition 3 being voted on, that uh, it's tempting sometimes to just say, okay, I'm just, I'm just done. Let's just call it quits. How could uh, people make these decisions? And we have to remember, you know, from this passage, we're, we're called to press on. We're not at the, the finish line yet, whether it's on this issue or just, just anything. I mean, what do we expect? Is this the kingdom now? Has Christ returned already and set up his, his kingdom on this earth? No. We're still in this there's an already of, he, the victory is certain, but it's a not yet, that it's uh, still more to come. He's still uh, hasn't returned yet. Uh, this world is a world of conflict. It's a world of, of battle, and we should really expect kind of nothing less than this right now. This is what Scripture keeps warning us over and over again, that um, we need to be lights in a, a dark world. And once again, remember the words that Pastor Nick had in his sermon from a few weeks ago, that it never gets too dark for you to shine his lights. And the darker it gets, the more you can shine his lights. We need to continue to move forward. We need to press on. We need to draw that, that courage from God because of this. And in one sense, keep doing what we've always done. Um, yeah, with, uh, what happened with the election in Proposition 3 is, is a grievous thing, and it's a setback. But it's not like it was going to be just utopia and kingdom now if it had gone the other way, or if every politician that you wanted and voted in. No, that's not. Uh, the only uh, perfect ruler that we're ever going to have is Jesus Christ when he returns. 
And until then, we follow him in a very challenging world. You take your Bible and you open randomly to any page in the scripture and probably, with almost certainty, you're going to land at a page uh, describing a time when people lived in a very messed up world, in a dysfunctional, sinful society, and very often with uh, bad rulers as well. Okay? So pretty much any time in the New Testament, most of the Old Testament, okay, maybe if you land like, you know, right at the beginning or the very end of your Bible, you know, that's probably the only time you're really okay. But most of this, we are in the middle of the, the, the race. And so we need to carry on. We need to press forward, continue to love people, continue to help. Um, not, we're not going to be able to convince everyone, but you know what? If you reach one person, uh, and you help them to have different, you know, well, Proposition 3, values on life. Let's say through you, you're able to help one person to make a different choice. That's a life. But even more, it's not just about this. I mean, the ultimate thing is we want people to, to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I mean, even if uh, there was never an abortion again, uh, that would be beautiful, but if everyone uh, then lived a full life and then died without Jesus Christ, that's not the goal. We want people to know him, to embrace him, and to love him, and to be saved. So we want to be used by him. And we need to strain and not coast. Finally, Christian, you have been called by and to Jesus Christ as your great goal. We're not at the finish line yet. We're not to be at the starting line. We're moving on. But there is a great goal that we are being called to the ultimate thing, and that's the ultimate prize, the ultimate end that we need to head towards. And so we read verse 14, which says, I press on, saying that again, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So again, pressing on, moving forward towards this, making progress, but towards the goal. Progress is only good if it's towards the right goal. Okay? You can make all the progress you want, but if you're progressing in the wrong direction, that's regression. It's not actually progress. So you have to have your eyes set on the right thing, moving in the right way. And you have been called. Christian, you've been summoned. This is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Your salvation was initiated with the call of God. There was a time when he called you and he reached into your heart and he turned your heart into, and therefore you responded to him. And if you haven't responded to his call, I pray that God would be working in your heart right now and that you would feel that call and he would turn your heart to him. And the same way that he called this world into existence. Uh, the same way that um, in Ezekiel, the dry bones were made to, to come to life again. In the same way Jesus called out to dead Lazarus, said, come forth. And he rose and he came forth. I pray that God would call you out of your deadness and your sin and that you raise a new life and come to him. And for those of us that are Christians already, that's the call that we had. We were called by God and he called us to, to new life in him. And therefore we do come to him. That was the start of our Christian life was the call. But we're not called just to, to get started. We're not called just to move slightly off the, the, the starting line. We're called to him all the way at the finish. We're called to Christ. He is our ultimate goal. He is our ultimate treasure. It's not, again, just about getting out of hell, and it's not just about being in some great place with streets of gold. It's being with Christ. 
He is our treasure. He is the one that seeks us. And so for a Christian, you have been called by and to Jesus Christ as your great goal. He is your highest good, your ultimate treasure, the good above which there is no greater good that is out there. The word here for Christ, as, when it says goal, it's a Greek word that is skopos. And you think, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, if you are a hunter, I want you to think about this. Uh, a skopos, you look through a scope at your target or your mark. These are actually related terms. Uh, because the word means to, to, to look at something as a target, to look at something as a mark, what you're aiming to, what you're heading to. The word can also be used of the, the finish line in a race, the goal that you are headed to. And so is your goal, is your mark, is your eye set on something else besides Jesus Christ as your ultimate goal in life? If so, that's idolatry. And if so, you're, you're headed to something that is worthless, definitely worth less than Jesus Christ. Something that's inferior, something that's not going to last when you could have the ultimate heading towards God and using your whole life to, to come to him and to live for him and the joy that comes from knowing him and being with him. And I want you to think about this too. Remember I said that uh, resurrection is at the end of this and that no one now, uh, Paul is not even resurrected yet. He hasn't even hit that finish line yet. But there is one human being that has crossed that finish line. There's one that is at that finish line that is waiting and calling for us. And that human is the the God-man, Jesus Christ. Remember, he's the first fruits of the dead, the resurrected one. So he stands there at the finish line, again, calling us to him, calling us to himself to finish the race because that's where he is. He's at the race, at the end of the race, at the finish line, and we finish, we are to be with him and with him forever. So we come to him. Make him your aim in life. Examine yourself. Jesus, the great goal, prized treasure. And realize with this, we're called to Christ, and we are called to Christ-likeness. It's a, it's a both and. Don't just say, well, it's, it's not just about moral improvement, okay? Um, but that is a part of it. But we put Christ first because he is the goal that we have. But then our goal too is to become more and more like him. Because the more that you are transformed to be like Christ, the more you're going to love and be able to appreciate him. The more that we have our sin purged from us. The more that we have our hearts uh, transformed so that we love what is genuinely lovable. The more joy and fulfillment uh, we will have forever and the more glory you will give to Jesus Christ forever. So we're called to both of these things, and we see this in the passage. What we saw before that Paul wrote about, uh, to, to come to Christ, to, be, to gain Christ, and to be found in him. And we're going to see that also the end, the finish line, does involve our transformation into him. And next week we're going to see that uh, as we continue to follow and we, we follow uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, that at the end, it's, it's going to tell us, we'll sneak preview for next time, uh, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Things we have to look forward to. Things we have to hope. And in Scripture, hope is not a I hope so, it's a certain hope that we look forward to.
In verse 15 it says, hey, if you're, if you're mature, those, let those who are mature think this way. That word for mature can also, is from the same word family as when it said perfect in verse 12. So we're not perfect perfect, but those who are uh, being matured, mature in our thinking, this is the way we need to think. And he says, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. God will help you to understand this. Only let's hold true to what we have attained. We don't want to move back. We don't want to slip back. So none of us have arrived already in the Christian life. Instead, we press on. We strain forward to the goal that we are called to in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for teaching us this. Help us to have a realistic but hopeful view of our situation. Uh, We are not at the end yet, but let us not despair. Let us not be complacent of where we are, but move forward, press on, strain forward, press on. Not to earn our salvation, that's already been taken care of, but to draw closer to you every day. And we long for the day when we are with you, And we know that for a believer to be absent from the body is to be present with you. We know that you're with us already spiritually. We'll be with you in another way. But there's also a day ahead even beyond that where the dead in Christ are raised, where you will return, where you will eventually bring uh, your kingdom to this world and there will be ultimate justice on this world, Lord God. And you will reign and you will rule and we will continue to bend the knee to you. So Lord God, Jesus, we already bend the knee to you. We thank you. We praise you as Lord and Savior. And we ask you for the strength to press on to you who have called us to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.